My name is Carla Nivert and I am extremely passionate about pregnancy, birth and babies and helping you to find your way through and embrace both the messy and magical things on this extraordinary journey of bringing your precious baby into this world. I'm a small town mama who has taken a leap and become a certified birth educator and have a very deep desire to help as many mothers as I can around the world. I want you to feel ready, confident and excited to go into labor so you can have your best chance at a smooth, calm and a beautiful natural birth. So please get comfy and ready to learn all you need to know to feel prepared and informed about your pregnancy, birth and easing into breastfeeding with confidence. We won't shy away from the real talk. This is the Birth Serenity Podcast. Well, hello there and welcome back to another Birth Serenity Podcast episode. If you are watching this video on YouTube, please remember to like this video and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That way you will get notified whenever we upload a new video. If you are listening on one of the podcast platforms, please leave us a review. Those are like little Christmas presents for us as it makes our podcast rank higher. Today's topic is a failure to progress. Now, it is so important for every mother who is hoping to have a vaginal birth to listen to this because I can almost guarantee you at some point during your labor, your doctors will tell you that things are not progressing fast enough. So first, let's look at why it is even a topic to talk about. How often does failure to progress occur? Worldwide, there are many different definitions of failure to progress, or rather how it is perceived by care providers, resulting in different rates from country to country. For example, failure to progress is the cause of 42% of caesareans in Queensland, Australia, while failure to progress was the cause of 34% of caesareans in the UK. Researchers think that these high numbers and differences from country to country are due to a lack of guidelines and differences in how care providers practice between countries. So we know that some gynecologists still practice what they were taught in medical school 40 years ago. Researchers published a report on over 38,000 mothers who had their first caesarean in the US during a six-year period. 35% of the primary C-sections in the overall sample were due to a diagnosis of failure to progress or slow to progress in labor. And 41.3% of the C-sections in first-time moms were due to failure to progress. That is a really high number. So why should we be worried then? Because more than 4 in 10 of the first-time mothers of that 41.3% who had C-sections for failure to progress had not reached 5 cm dilation before they were taken in for a C-section. 6 cm is considered the beginning of active labor. So this means that those mothers were still in very early labor or maybe not truly in labor at all when they were told that they weren't dilating fast enough and basically been told that their bodies aren't doing what it was designed to do. The mothers who did reach the second stage of labor, meaning they fully dilated to 10 centimeters, one in three C-sections for failure to progress were performed before three hours into this stage, while one in four C-sections for failure to progress were performed before two hours of the second stage in mothers who had given birth before. 
This is of concern because the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine released recommendations that define a rest of labor as longer than three hours of second stage in first-time mothers and longer than two hours in mothers who had given birth before, giving an extra hour or more on an individual's basis. It's difficult to determine how many experience true failure to progress because so many researchers use different definitions. Worldwide, it is thought that about 3 to 6% of women have true arrest labor, where labor has stopped or is truly abnormally slow. So this is a really small number. 3 to 6% of women have true arrested labor but 41.3% of women go in for a C-section with this as the reason. A large number of mothers also have unplanned C-sections for failure to progress during medical inductions of labor. Researchers found that half of those induced who had cesareans for failure to progress had not reached 6 centimeters yet, indicating that they were not yet in active labor when their inductions were labeled as failed. So why do so many women have unplanned cesareans for failure to progress? I mean, a hundred years ago, you would never have heard about women not laboring fast enough. Why is this even a thing? So at a hospital, when you arrive, there is normally the assessment to determine the stage of labor. And it only really does tell you where you are at that point. So let me tell you about the Friedman curve. There was a doctor in the 50s really interested in statistics and he plotted graphs of how long women labored and came up with a mean curve with massive scatter that women dilate roughly one centimeter per hour. And then apparently was quite irritated when people started using that as a guideline because it wasn't intended for that use. But there are still some old school gynees that say if you don't stick to the curve, we're gonna have to speed you up. A vaginal examination only tells you where you are at that moment. That is no indication of where you will be in an hour or two. So labor never follows a curve. Some moms labor really slowly over three days and some give birth in two hours. There is no rule of thumb. So I've heard stories of moms arriving at hospital and being told that she's only two centimeters, dad should go home and sleep, and then an hour later she rings the bell and says, baby's coming, and all hell break loose. So please, a vaginal examination is not a crystal ball. It doesn't predict the length of labor, and dad can refuse to go home and just rather stay put. So how long does it really take to dilate? Researchers found that what Dr. Friedman suggested really should not be seen as a guide or standard. Birth patterns are always different and often can take really long. Interestingly, researchers found that before 6 centimeters, many mothers, and this includes first-time mothers and experienced mothers, went long periods without any dilation, and this was within the range of normal in the sample. For example, those laboring took an average of 1 hour and 50 minutes to get from 3 centimeters to 4 centimeters, but the top 5% of the sample, still in the range of normal, took as long as 8 hours. On average, women took 1 hour and 20 minutes to get from 4 centimeters to 5 centimeters, but the top 5% took 7 hours. All of these women went on to give birth vaginally and to healthy babies. 
Now, if you're laboring in a hospital and you're gonna take seven hours to dilate one centimeter, I can almost guarantee you the doctors are gonna push you for a C-section or Pitocin by then. And that's why understanding this is so important so you can advocate for yourself. When it came to pushing or the second stage of labor, first-time mothers pushed for an average of one hour and six minutes with an epidural and about half an hour without an epidural. At the very extreme end of normal, some first-timers, the 5% that pushed the longest, pushed for 3 hours and 36 minutes with an epidural and 2 hours and 40 minutes without an epidural. Experienced mothers had much shorter pushing phases. On average, they spent less than 30 minutes pushing with an epidural and about 15 minutes without an epidural. So that brings me to pushing during labor. Just reading this research made me so mad actually that care providers still do this. Just because you've reached 10 centimeters of dilation does not mean you now have to start pushing. In order to be born, the baby has to accomplish some impressive maneuvering to fit through the narrow passage, tuck under the pubic bone, rotate, extend, then rotate again. And this maneuvering takes time, often two to three hours. If you are pushing while the baby is still high in the pelvis, you risk doing some serious damage to your pelvic floor and not to mention unnecessarily exhausting yourself. There is a lot that needs to happen during this stage before you start actively pushing. The uterus has been building strength with every contraction in order to safely and effectively move the baby down the birth path. Don't sabotage the second stage by pushing too early. Now you might be wondering, okay, so when should I then push, Carla? The answer is when you can't not or when you can reach down and you feel the baby's head crowning. Have you heard about the fetal ejection reflex? This is when the body expels a baby involuntarily. That is without forced pushing on your part. Mom is fully dilated and the body is doing the important work of laboring the baby down to your perineum. Would you rather be purple pushing or just trust your body and let nature do what it was designed to do? So just again, if you have reached the second stage of labor, meaning that you are fully dilated, this does not mean that you now actively and forcefully have to start pushing your baby down. You can just rest then, take a breather and wait for your uterus to nudge the baby down and out. So back to Friedman. Researchers have also confirmed that for various reasons, including an older and heavier population and different clinical practices today, labor lasts longer for modern women than it did in Dr. Friedman's time. So what factors may lengthen labor? Epidural use may lengthen both labor and pushing, heavy sedation, being overweight or obese, advanced maternal age, having labor medically induced, giving birth for the first time, posterior positioning of the baby, the baby's head is tilted sideways, being confined to a bed, dehydration, being a survivor of sexual assault, giving birth to twins, premature rupture of the membranes, so membranes being artificially ruptured, and being pregnant with a big baby. And then of course the things that, you know, I think this kind of messes with the mind and uh, these are fears that needs to be released before you go into labor, then these will probably not have such a big effect. 
but maternal health problems, so things like gestational diabetes, hypertension or preeclampsia, low or high amniotic fluid levels, having had a previous poor outcome, so um, birth trauma of a previous experience, having a successful external cephalic version for a breech baby, and having been diagnosed with failure to progress in a previous birth. So these are all reasons that your birth could possibly take longer. But is it harmful to have a long first-stage labor? What are the risks to mothers and babies? So based on studies, there does not appear to be any difference in infant mortality if mothers have a first-stage labor that is abnormal by Friedman's standards, even for babies who were born after a first stage of labor that took longer than 30 hours. So as always, with every Birth Serenity podcast episode, here's the good part. The practical tips and things that you can do and implement during the birth of your baby. So what can parents do or rather how should you respond if a doctor tells you that labor is not progressing fast enough? First of all, you have to know if mom and baby are fine. Ask questions like, is there a medical indication here? Is something wrong? You agreed not to rush the birth unless something is wrong. Can we have another hour or so? Do we have other options we can first try? What effects will this have on mom and baby? Why do you feel this intervention is necessary at this point? <laughs> and this one is really good. We've waited nine months for this baby so far. Another few hours won't bother us. So in the Birth Serenity Antenatal class, I go into great detail and dedicate an entire lesson only to this. It's especially important for your partner to be assertive then. So if you and your partner want to prepare in the best possible way to ensure the birth outcome you hope for, make sure to join our antenatal class. I will leave a link below. So what can we do to stop the overdiagnosis of failure to progress? The following recommendations were made. Care providers should stick to proper current definitions of labor arrest and avoid using the vague term failure to progress. Women should be given adequate time for both labor and should not be forced to start pushing simply because they are fully dilated. For labor to rest at that stage is normal. Mothers with an unripe cervix should not be induced unless the induction is medically necessary. And inductions should only be labeled failed after at least 24 hours of Pitocin plus the water broken if possible. And this clock should not start until after cervical ripening, if necessary, is completed. So moms, that's it from me for today. Please remember that if you are hoping to have a smooth, calm and a beautiful birth, you have to prepare for it. Unfortunately, in the times we live in now, you cannot just rock up at the hospital and think that everything is going to go smoothly. You have to be informed and so does your partner. So please join our antenatal class and we will help you to reach your birth goals. Are you pregnant, hoping for a smooth, calm, beautiful, natural birth? Let us help you with that. In the Birth Serenity Antenatal Program, we focus on natural birth and would be honored to help and support you to prepare yourself in the best possible way, both mentally and physically, for your birth. Our aim is to help you find peace and accept your birth, whichever way it turns out. For more information, go to birthserenity.com.